0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that. Opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. As shocking as the brutal double murder committed by vampire-obsessed teenager Rod Farrell was, nobody expected him to change his plea to guilty at the start of his trial. This left just one monumental question. How young is too young for the death penalty this week's court tv podcast dives deeper into this difficult question with an episode of our original series judgment with ashley banfield a case full of issues regarding age mental health and capital punishment this is judgment of the vampire clan this is the court tv podcast
1: started swimming the the crowbar on the male subject that you really felt there was a rush to actually rush. Okay, feel the fact that i was taking life because that's just like the old philosophy about if you can take a life you become a god for a second but if i was a god i wouldn't exactly be
2: here would i Florida. It's a town that sits on a lake of the same name about 40 miles north of Orlando. Once known for its citrus crops, the quiet night here was shattered on November 25th, 1996. What happened was almost unheard of in Eustace, murder. Even more alarming, a double murder in the home of Richard Wendorf and Naomi Ruth Queen. They're found bludgeoned to death in a grisly scene and the suspects, vampires. Not just any vampires, teenage vampires.
3: Eustis, Florida, is a small town. People had five-acre lots, and it was a quiet area. Richard Wendorf and his
4: wife, Ruth Queen, they had built the house themselves. There were four people living there at that time, the husband and the wife and two daughters. Jennifer, the older girl, came home that evening to find that her parents had been killed.
5: Where
6: is your emergency? My emergency is in East Florida. I need two ambulances. My mother and my father have just been killed. I just walked in the door. I don't know what happened. They are dead.
3: The crime scene was horrific.
7: The initial officer got on scene and came across the radio screaming, hardly legible. We knew we had a homicide at that point. Mr. Windorf he had been struck multiple times on the head with a blunt object determined to be a crowbar. Mrs. Windorf was found lying face down, and she too had been beaten with a crowbar
8: there alone. I have no idea there could be someone in the house. I mean, sister nobody came there with you. I don't know where my sister is. She's gone. What do you mean? She, does she live there with you? Yeah, okay, She should be here. She's only 16 years old, and she's
7: gone. OK. According to our complainant, which was Heather's sister, her sister was missing. We didn't know if Heather had been abducted, taken by force, or if this had been something she was involved in. We need to find Heather.
4: A friend told us that Heather was arranging to go with these four teens who'd come down from Kentucky. And they were planning on running away. They had arrived in an old clunker that barely ran. So they needed a new car. And it just so happened the Wendorfs had a fairly new Ford Explorer. They had stopped at a girl's home 10 miles away from the scene. They came in and used the phone. Rod Farrell called over to Heather's to get directions to the house, which turned out to be the murder scene. Then they went into the kitchen, and they proceeded to drink um, some blood.
5: Rod Farrell fancied himself as a vampire. He had some other kids that. They could start doing this half role play, half serious talk where they're talking about vampires, they're talking about killing. They were believing that they could drink blood, that they could be immortal. Richard Wendorf was targeted because he was the father of Heather Wendorf who was part of this cult. I think she had said that her life was made hell by her parents, by her father. She said that she had an unhappy childhood with him. She wanted him gone. I don't know that she really understood that her parents would be killed. Whatever Heather had in her mind, we don't know. But what we do know is that Rod Farrell decided to take matters into his own hands.
3: Rod Farrell not only beat these people to death with a crowbar, he just went into a frenzy to the point where the people were basically unrecognizable. About 10.30 this evening, all five were arrested in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The group was arrested in Baton Rouge after being on the run for three days, and Rod confessed right away. He says, I- I'll tell you anything you want to know. boom,
9: right across the temple of the head. It knocked him cold. And while he was cold, I figured, now or never, because
10: if he gets up, I'm a dead So I just beat him until he died.
7: The four charged in the incident were Rod Farrell, Scott Anderson, Charity, and Dana. The two girls were not there at the homicide, but were well aware of the situation.
9: Of Lake County and I'm opening in session.
3: The state attorney begins his opening remarks. And then he hadn't even started hardly. And one of the defense attorneys says, Your Honor, we need to interrupt because my client may want to change something.
11: You are Robert Justin Farrell, sir. Yes. Have you fully discussed this case with your attorneys? Yes, I have. Do you fully understand the plea that you are entering? Yes you understand you are pleading guilty without reservation to
3: armed robbery, armed burglary, murder in the first degree of Richard Lindorff, and murder in the first degree of Naomi Ruth Queen. Yes, I do. The judge will consider the recommendation of the judge. He's pleading guilty to all the charges, straight up. There is no negotiated plea.
4: Like if I plead guilty, well, you're gonna drop the death penalty. Back in 1996, it was legal to seek the death penalty for a 17-year-old. The Supreme Court has since changed the rules. There was a decision made early on by my boss that because of the atrocity of the crimes and the lack of remorse and the, the lack of any justification or provocation, the decision was made that the death penalty would be sought. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the defendant
11: has pled guilty to two counts of murder in the first degree as to counts three and four of the indictment. Consequently, you will not concern yourselves with the question of his guilt. Punishment for these crimes is either death or life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Final decision as to what punishment shall be imposed rests solely with the judge of this court. However. The law requires that you, the jury, render to the court an advisory sentence
3: as to what punishment should be imposed upon the defendant. They adjourn the court for a few days, and we come back for the penalty phase.
9: What we intend to show you is that these murders were the result of choice. They were the result
10: of a personal decision of a person. That person was Rod Farrell. Remember you were told last week that a person under 16 years of age who commits a capital crime cannot be put to death in Florida, okay? The evidence is going to show that at the time of this offense, Rod Farrell was about 16 years and eight months old. What happened to Rod is his world of fantasy mismatched with reality because his life was painful, very painful. You will see that this time this young 16-year-old boy you should be sentenced to life twice with no possibility of parole. Thank you.
5: This was a case where the death penalty seemed like something that people would would impose, but his age was so young. So there was this question, are they gonna send this kid to to death row? But he
12: took my kitchen knives and he cut his arm and Dana went and drank some of his blood.
2: The swift determination that Rod Farrell and his teenage followers are the prime suspects immediately changes the nature of this case. It's no longer the grisly beating deaths of a couple in their home. It's much more than that. The fact that all of the members of Farrell's cult claim to be vampires leads to a media firestorm and comparisons to the Manson killings in the 70s.
1: in front of anything, and that's going to capture the headlines. I mean, the difference between having a putt-putt mini golf establishment and a vampire putt-putt mini golf, everybody's got to check out the vampire putt-putt mini golf.
5: This was one of those trials where everybody wanted to be in the courtroom. Who is this kid? How did he get this way? How did he get to be this twisted? And how did he get people to follow him?
9: The male victim, laying right here, face up on the couch. His glasses were mashed up, and the thing that stands out is that his face looked like hamburger. I looked across the kitchen and saw a female victim laying there. She had what appeared to be a, a large hole in the back of her head and a pool of blood underneath her head. Did you come to any conclusion as to whether she was alive or dead? It was
11: apparent that they were both deceased. They couldn't have lived
7: through that. There was a lot of personal anger involved in that attack because it was so beyond what was necessary to just knock somebody out or to just kill them. And of course, our first concern was, we have a missing child. Was her life in danger? Was she going to be the next body we found? And then the car's missing. So now we have to figure that the car may be involved in this, either with Heather or with the perpetrators. So first thing, get a bolo out for the car.
12: Rod, Dana, and Charity and Scott, they came over at about desk about 5.30, 6 o'clock maybe. And they didn't call anything, they just showed up and they said something was wrong with their car. Heather was coming with them because they were going to go somewhere. They were going to go to New Orleans. We were all sitting there, and Rod started saying that he was going to go steal the one car. And, um, because his car wasn't working, well, I said before. And then he said that he wanted to go kill our parents, and I asked him why. And he said, because he wanted the car. Rod, he took my kitchen knives, and
3: he cut his arm. And Dana went and drank some of his blood. Kids think they're vampires. They're drinking each other's blood. They're doing all this occult stuff. Then you have the daughter of the victims is missing. Was she abducted? Was she part of it? Or is she a victim herself? I mean, nobody really knew.
10: You didn't take too seriously what Rod was saying, did you, that night? No. OK. You didn't call the police or anything, did you? I didn't
12: believe
7: him.
10: Because he basically, uh, he runs his mouth a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. OK, he tells a lot of tales, doesn't he? Yeah.
7: Our first big break came about six hours in. We got a hit on the tag.
10: We received
9: a BOLO working that day. What was the BOLO about? They described a vehicle which was a Ford Explorer, blue in color. Uh, that was taken from a residence in Florida that had been involved in a double homicide.
4: And so on the 28th of November, 1996, there in the the north parking lot of Howard Johnson's Hotel, is that the man that you saw standing by the Blue Ford Explosion?
3: Yes.
7: What they didn't plan for in advance was traveling takes money, living takes money. So when they got over into Louisiana, Charity got the idea that she could call her grandma for money. Fortunately, the grandmother reached back out to the detectives, and ultimately, they would be taken into custody without any injury to anyone.
1: That you
9: then begin Mm -hmm. to interview each and every of the five
10: subjects that were in custody. That is correct.
3: Scott Anderson came from the most dysfunctional family we're talking poverty, alcohol abuse, mental illness. What did you go up there for?
9: I thought I'd be able to do something, but. So your intentions were to go up there and assist him in that? Yes. And how were you going to assist? Who's going to go after the father and also go after the mother? <laughs> that was predetermined before you even got up there? Yes.
3: His problem was that. He went with Rod inside the house, and Rod had asked him right before they went in there, do you have a problem with taking these people out? And he said, no, I don't have a problem with that.
7: Scott went with Rod and entered the home, but froze. When I saw
1: him make the first blow, I knew I couldn't.
4: The interview of Rod Farrell was so graphic and so shocking, it was clear to me by the Uh, proud and brazen way that he talked about what he had done without any remorse in his voice whatsoever. He seemed to enjoy the experience and probably wanted to kill somebody uh, for the thrill of it.
1: the gets through spell I beat her until I saw her brains falling on the floor
4: to see a 17 year old with absolutely no conscience was really a difficult thing for me to wrap my head around uh, I rem- even to this day 24 years later I shake my head when I think about that uh, how do we uh, produce children like that? Did there come a time that uh, he made any kind of threats towards you? He said he
13: wanted to, he was going to spread my guts all over the walls so everybody could see them now.
2: The awful details surrounding the killings of Richard Wendorf and Naomi Ruth Queen in many ways become secondary to the sickening stories of the bloody cult itself. A group of teenagers is charged with these murders and they claim they're all vampires, led by a 16-year-old named Rod Farrell. Their taste for drinking blood is real and a ritual they all share.
3: Stephen Jaden Murphy was Rod's vampire mentor, if you will. In their terminology, he is a sire. Rod would be his prodigy. And what you do is you bring him into the fold by teaching him all the vampire values. There's a whole value system. But Rod, of course, broke all the rules.
6: Have you ever participated in vampirism? Yes. And uh, was it on this basis that you developed your friendship with Mr. Farrell?
3: The major thing that attracted me to him is he dressed very similar to myself and He didn't really fit in with the redneck or prep genre of the school, so he was more or less uh, an outcast as myself.
5: These kids were not the kids who had it all together in high school. These kids were not the ones who had good grades. They weren't the ones who had good behavior. They were the kids who were left behind. They had difficult family lives. So when they had this sense of belonging, when they had this little group where they could be these vampires, that was exciting.
1: I've been talking to
3: him uh, about my lifestyle, which I was practicing vampirism. Uh, did not believe that I could fly or that I was in to live. the sunlight could kill me. I wasn't repelled by crosses or garlic. The strictest definition is I did have a craving for blood, maybe human or animal. I basically told him of our own beliefs and our own laws. I proceeded then, I took out a blade that I had brought from my house, and I cut my arm with it,
9: and he took from me, and the same process happened with him. I had him cut
4: his arm, and
9: I took from him.
4: I've heard you say now something about lifestyle. Is, is that what you're talking about, being a vampire, is being about living a certain lifestyle? Yes, it's not really. So you don't have fangs, do you? No.
8: If you're a kid and you feel powerless and isolated and alienated and maybe depressed, and now you can latch on to something that makes you feel powerful and that brings with it adulation from others, there's something very seductive and attractive about that.
12: We were both at that time sort of becoming interested in that sort of realm of things and vampirism, and uh, he was telling me how he had uh, started his own clan called the Jaden clan, and how he was sired and now he's a vampire. We discussed witchcraft and certain spells and books and things like that.
3: Rod said that he was Basago, that he was immortal. He was 500 years old. He used his artistic talents to draw these really disturbing pictures of Christ on the cross, demons, all that sort of thing.
9: Mr. Farrell told you he was powerful, didn't he?
13: Yeah.
9: And he told you that uh, he thought it was funny that he could hurt people, didn't he?
13: Well, yeah.
4: Did there come a time that uh, he made any kind of threats towards you?
13: There was one time he did. He threatened, um, uh, he you know, called me names and said he wanted to, he was going to spread my guts all over the walls so everybody could see them and smell them. And I just laughed at him. You know, I thought he was just being crazy, you know.
8: Kids will often talk big. They'll, they'll say things that they never think are really going to happen. And in fact, one of the followers said at one point, oh, we would talk about killing, and it was like a joke. The problem is when kids talk about killing, after a while, it can take a life of its own.
6: Did Rod ever talk to you about his friends in Florida? A little bit. I don't know. Did he ever mention a person by the name of Heather Windorf or Zoe? Yes. And who is Zoe? He was, she was a very close friend of his before. Now, are Zoe and Heather the same yes, person? Yes, Did you ever uh, talk with Heather? I believe she called my house once. I just answered the phone and handed it to her. Did you hear any part of that conversation? Um, I believe I heard her, I asked him to come get her. Okay, and did you hear anything else? Uh, he said he would and she said that they were hurting her, and, and he said he come get her. And she said, well, the only way I can see you to come, the only way that I can see for you to get me out of here is kill him. Who said that? Heather. OK, who was she talking about? Do you know? Her parents.
4: Heather denied vehemently that she had anything to do with this crime.
2: I remember telling this lad out, don't even go near my parents. Central to the case and how the suspects are captured so quickly is the role of Heather Wendorf, the teenage daughter of the victims. Did she just fall in with the wrong crowd? Or is Heather a co-conspirator who actually set the murders in motion? Even today, some investigators believe that's exactly what happened. Did you ever
10: have any contact with a girl by the name of Heather Wendorf?
13: Um, she called us several times. I never really talked to her much on the phone, but she wrote us letters, and I read those.
10: In regards to the letters, do you remember one letter in particular?
13: Yes. It just basically said that she wanted to get rid of her parents because, you know, she wanted to be with him, and that's the only way she could be with him if she got rid of her parents, and she wanted them gone.
4: Just- Heather's supposed involvement in murdering her parents. It became a real subject in the community. Heather denied vehemently that she had anything to do with this crime.
6: I remember telling him, flat out, don't even go near my parents.
4: Why would you tell him not even to go near your parents?
6: Because he asked me not too long ago if I wanted my parents dead or alive. And I said straight out, I wanted them alive.
4: When did he ask you this? On
6: Monday, Monday after
4: school. So on Monday after school, he talked to you about killing your parents?
6: Yes, and I said no. I said I wanted him to leave him alone. Were you talking to Heather Wendorf? I was standing there when she was talking to her friends. When Heather was talking to her friends? Yes, ma'am. All right. And did you overhear what Heather Wendorf was saying? That she wanted her parents dead. Did you happen to overhear a conversation that Ms. Wendorf was having in school with some other people? Yeah. Would you please tell the ladies and gentlemen, of the jury, what you heard? Um, I heard her talking amongst friends or whatever. I guess I was, like, at my locker, and she said how what a bad weekend she had. She, you know, was mad at something that her parents would or wouldn't let her do, and she said that um,
4: she wanted her parents dead. So why did he kill your parents?
6: He likes killing people.
4: Has he killed sure? people before?
6: He's told me he yeah. has. I heard him say that. Mm-hmm. and He like, likes it, but sometimes I just thought he was, you know? Heather's own sister
7: had said that night that she suspected Heather was involved with this.
6: Your sister and your mother were having a very tumultuous relationship in the fall of 1996. Would that be a fair statement? I don't know what... They were having mother and daughter fights. That's correct. All right. And mom would tell her things to do, and she would get pissed off and yell and have a temper tantrum? Yes. And on Monday evening, November twenty fifth, 1996, do you recall that you... We're going to have a meeting that night, a family meeting, where your mom was going to talk to Heather with your dad and try to see if there wasn't some way to, to get her straightened out? Yes.
4: There's been several things you've been lying about. What? You told us you knew nothing about your parents. And now you're telling me that Monday and on numerous other occasions, he's brought up to you about wanting to kill your parents. You said no. I didn't you-
12: know he killed my parents. I-
4: No, no, you're not listening to what I'm saying. See, no, I didn't know he
13: killed my parents until he
4: told me, you know? Okay. You had a pretty good idea of it, though, didn't you? No. How many times did he talk to you about killing your parents? Not counting Monday. Not counting Monday. Oh. I
6: think, I don't know if you can count them, but
12: they're just small
7: things. My personal opinion, I think she, I think she knew. I think she was a part of it not in the actual physical part of it, but I think I think she knew what was going to happen, and she let it.
6: Did she ask you something regarding plotting the death of your mother and father? Yes. Um, would you tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury what she said to you? Um, I don't quite recall exactly what was said, but
13: I know it was something along the lines of, um, Jen, have you ever plotted
6: Mom and Dad's death? And what was your reaction to that?
13: I, I was appalled. I said
6: no, and that was the end of
13: the conversation.
1: Heather was resolute that she never had such a conversation with her sister, that she never had such a conversation with one of the other witnesses. She didn't want her parents killed. She didn't hate her parents. She loved her parents. She loved her sister. The
3: State Attorney Brad King says there's no proof that she knew her parents were gonna be harmed. Heather said she didn't know her parents were gonna be harmed. So basically the grand jury cut her loose. So she never testified.
6: So question, do you want your parents dead or alive? I said, alive? I don't want you messing with my parents. I don't you leave them alone. I want them alive.
1: There are members of law enforcement that continue to this day to feel she was involved. And the grand jury did not even find probable cause.
4: Okay, young lady. Thank you.
1: Take care.
7: I think she got away with murder. But in the long run, she's the one that's got to live with that. So sometimes living with something like that is punishment too.
4: His mother had some interesting habits of her own. It didn't make her uh, the mother of the year.
6: He was cutting himself? Yes. And he was engaging in this ritual of drinking blood with others? Yes. And you didn't have him hospitalized?
2: No. The case against Rod Farrell is overwhelming. There's physical evidence, there's the testimony from his co-defendants, and there's an unrepentant confession. Still a mystery, though... How does Farrell shift from being a wannabe cult leader of teenage vampires to being a premeditated blood-drinking killer who bludgeons to death a man as he sleeps and a woman coming to her husband's aid?
6: Can you share with us any opinions that you drew from his family history?
9: This this is one of the more dysfunctional family situations that I have experienced and I indicated that I have evaluated close to 700 individuals charged with first degree murder.
8: When you're dealing with juveniles who commit homicide, they're always mitigating factors because healthy, happy, well-adjusted kids don't kill people.
9: It's clear that Rod has not had the positive male role models in his life that a young man needs. It's real clear that he hasn't had a positive female role model. Sondra Gibson is a very disturbed woman.
4: I know that this young man uh, came from a, a troubled background, broken home, etc. His mother had some interesting habits of her own and some issues that didn't make her uh, the mother of the year. Could
6: you tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury your name, please? Yes, I'm Sandra Joanne Gibson, and I'm also known as Star.
8: She was a very young mother. She was, according to the record, 16 when she gave birth. So a 16-year-old is a child themselves, they're certainly not going to be in the best position to be an effective parent.
6: And uh, did you use drugs during this time? Yes. And were you uh, abusing alcohol? Yes, I was. What kind of drugs were you using? Um, Ecstasy. I did some speed. I did some anything I could get, pretty much.
3: Rod's mother, Sandra Gibson, she got involved in this vampire thing too. She was claiming that she had been raped during an orgy, a vampire type orgy, that she was haunted by a, a demon.
6: During this time, did your son have an upside down cross hanging in his room? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he had his room draped in black? Yes. And uh, he was cutting himself? Yes. And he was engaging in this ritual of drinking blood with others? Yes. And you didn't have him hospitalized? No. Tell us about your interview with Sandra Gibson.
3: She related a a day when Rod was about six or seven when his grandfather took him on a fishing trip. And when Rod came home that night, Rod was uh, shaking, was uh, nauseated, throwing up, was extremely upset. And Rod told her that he had been abused by sexually abused by several men out in in the woods on this fishing trip.
14: Rod Farrell, sexually assaulted by his grandfather, a mother who was completely dysfunctional, significant drug use and alcohol use at a very young age. Those are the things now that we are looking with specificity to explain the full story of why Rod got to where he got.
8: Rod has come from a very Um, Deprived background himself. Emotionally deprived. I don't mean financially deprived. Deprived background emotionally. Um, No dad and a mom that's uh, extremely immature. Um, Probably 12 years old on a bright day.
6: What did the Klan provide him as far as his emotional structure?
8: Clan met a lot of, of Rod's needs, and I think the fact that it was a vampire, could have been called anything, the fact that it was vampire clan was coincidental. It provided him a father figure, and that was the sire. It provided him with structure. It provided him with a family. None of those things did he have.
6: Can you say within a reasonable degree of certainty whether Mr. Farrell was under the influence of extreme mental or emotional disturbance on November 25th, 1996?
3: Yes, it's my opinion that he was. Prosecution's strategy was simple shred the psychologist's testimony.
9: Dr. Myers, in spite of your conclusions about Mr. Farrell's mental health status, he knew right from wrong when he went in that house, didn't he? I believe he did. He had the ability to say no when given the choice killing them or not killing them, didn't he?
10: I think he, his ability was impaired. Was he not thinking when he walked into the Wendorf's
9: house and beat them in the head 20 times until they were dead, he was thinking what?
10: He did not tell me what he was thinking at that time.
6: Did she ever say anything about the fact that her parents would never let her go and she would
2: have to actually get rid of them in order to leave? Yeah. (laughs) The trial of the teenage vampire murders Specifically, the case against 16-year-old Rod Farrell is never really about guilt or innocence. After changing his plea to guilty early in the trial, it all comes down to the sentencing. Will Rod Farrell become one of the youngest people in U.S. history to be sentenced to death?
9: Ladies and gentlemen, there was a time for mercy in this case. There was a time. It could have been Friday night before they decided to leave Kentucky. Monday night, even as he speaks of these things, there could have been mercy. He could have said, no, I'm just, I can't do that. I'll get them and run. If I get caught, I get caught. But I'm not gonna kill anybody. The time for mercy passed. And there is only, ladies and gentlemen, one penalty that can be exacted when someone has chosen to act so despicably in regards to the rights and lives of other people. And that is to say, Mr. Farrell, by your choices,
4: by your acts, you have forfeited your right to live here on Earth. We don't seek the death penalty in most first-degree murder cases because there typically is some sort of either provocation or some sort of mitigation that is compelling enough that we just don't seek it. But in this case, I agreed with the decision that Mr. King made.
6: I don't mean in any way to sound flippant, but at this case, that occurred 243 days earlier. You wouldn't have to make the grave decision that you're gonna make because the law says that a child of 15 can only be sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. We all wish that Rod would have had the common sense and collective judgment to make the right decision, but he didn't. Please make the right decision and recommend to the court that Roderick Farrell be sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole.
14: What do we do when there's a horrific crime that's committed and someone so young and so damaged commits it? Do we just throw away the key or do we give them another opportunity at some point to get past the punishment for what they did?
11: Mr. Bailiff, I'm <coughs> advised that the jury has reached an advisory sentence. Is that true, sir? Yes, sir. will be absolutely no public outburst with the publishing of this sentence. Defendant and counsel will rise.
8: In the circuit court of the fifth judicial circuit of the state of Florida and in Fort Lake County, the state of Florida versus Roderick Justin Farrell, advisory sentence. A majority of the jury by a vote of 12 to zero, advise and recommend to the court that it impose the death penalty upon Roderick Farrell.
3: After the jury came back and said twelve o, they have what they call a censor hearing. The defense then can bring forward anything they think will help their client. The defense put Rod on the stand, and Rod blames Heather.
6: Now, did you have conversations with Heather Wendorf in the late spring, early summer of ninety six?
9: Yes, she would express about the vampirism, her questioning about that, and her basically bust for that lifestyle. Also, she had basically told me that her problems with her family were increasing.
6: Did she ever tell you that her family was hurting her? Yes. Did she ever tell you that she wanted to run away?
9: There was times when she would actually like, she would cry and get hysterical over the phone. And me coming from an abusive life and being around people that have had abuse, like Scott Anderson, my best friend. The symptoms from her crying and her hysteria seemed real. It seemed likely that she really was being abused.
6: Did she ever say anything about the fact that her parents would never let her go and she would have to actually get rid of them in order to leave?
1: Yeah. (laughs) These cases tend to play out as the water goes from your ankle to your knee to your belly button to your neck. You're looking for someone to either... Misery loves company. Pull into a sinking ship with yourself or push out of the boat as the case may be. What kind of system and what kind of retribution
14: and hate and anger exist out there when a community says, let's kill a 15 year old, a 16 year old, is society in a position to put children, children to death?
11: There is genuine evil in this world. There is a dark side and a light side to each and every one of our lives, and those sides compete for human domination. Rod, I I say to you, I think you're a disturbed young man. I think your family failed you. I think society failed you. But I also am here to tell you, in the considered judgment of this court, a troubled and disturbed youth cannot serve as an excuse for cold-blooded, premeditated murder such as you perpetrated the Wendorf in this case. It is no wonder the jury unanimously decided to recommend to this court that Roderick Justin Farrell should die for each of his crimes. The court agrees with the jury that in weighing the aggravating circumstances against the mitigating circumstances, the scales of justice tilt unquestionably on the side of death.
7: When they gave him the death sentence, I think everybody was sighing relief because he would never stop. He had a taste for it. He liked it. And I don't think he would have ever stopped killing. I think he would have become a, a serial killer.
3: What happened with Rod is after he was sentenced to death, the Florida Supreme Court said, nah, we're not going to um, execute a 16-year-old. So they commuted his sentence to life. Well, then everybody thinks, okay, well, that's that's it. It's done. Life sentence, no chance of parole, done.
7: I would hope that in these 20 years that he has made peace with himself. Being that I haven't spoke with him or sat down with him and looked him square in the eye to see what his soul says, I don't know. I can only go by that 16-year-old boy, and I never saw an ounce of compassion.
4: If evil exists, it lives in the heart of Rod Farrell. Does
3: he regret it? Yeah, because he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. So he regrets it from that point of view. But does he have remorse, true remorse? Only God knows.
2: The trial of Rod Farrell played out for a national audience that was riveted by the case. But for those in central Florida who lived through it, two things are seared in their minds. The killings shattered a sense of safety for the people who call Eustace home. And their quiet community on the lake will forever be associated with the case of the vampire teen murders. I'm Ashley Banfield. Thanks for watching.
0: There you have it, another truly fascinating case from the Court TV archives. If you want to see the full sentencing phase of Florida v. Rod Farrell, it is available to stream for free on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And be sure to tune into my show, Closing Arguments with Vinny Politan, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern, where we bring you the latest true crime stories from across the country. Thank you so much for downloading, and as always, please don't forget to hug the kids.